Here we go. You are listening to Open Mic Friday, Law and Gospel, on the last day of April, April the 30th, in the year of our Lord, 2021. Uh, We're not yet back in the studio, so we are dealing with Open Mic by means of various emails that you have sent me. And we've got a set of emails that we're going to try and get over with today. Uh, The first one is an email from one of our listeners, um, got in fact this morning, about baptism. They said that they've been a Lutheran a long time, and they're just kind of confused as to whether baptism is necessary for salvation. And they sent me a letter, or I should say it was actually an item written by someone else about why baptism is not necessary for salvation. And we want to examine that because the name of this program is Law and Gospel. We've said how many times, if you ever tell someone to do something that is a work on their part, that is law. If you ever tell someone that what God does for you is a gift, free gift, because of Jesus Christ, that is gospel. Well, this particular letter writer goes through, and I don't disagree with his conclusion that baptism is not necessary for salvation. And the evidence of that he gives is the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross was not baptized, didn't even have the opportunity to be baptized. And what he should have said was the Pentecost baptism had not yet even occurred. That wasn't until Jesus rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and then Pentecost occurred. The the other reason I would say that people do not need to be baptized in order to be saved is, of course, every Old Testament believer. They all believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. If they were saved, they believed the promises of God connected to the coming Savior, and therefore it was not necessary for them to be baptized. Abraham is going to be in heaven. Why? Because God gave him a ridiculous promise that he and his wife, both of whom were way past childbearing age, would have a son named Isaac. And in that sonship would come a blessing to the entire world. And of course, that's referring to the coming of Jesus Christ. So as I'm going through this article, they do make this statement that I want to speak of as a reason why baptism is not necessary. Baptism is something we do or choose to have done to us and is therefore a work. And then he quotes Ephesians 2 and Titus 3 and Romans 5 are just a few of the verses that demonstrate that salvation is by faith alone, not by works. So he's saying that since baptism is our work, it cannot 
save us. It's not necessary. In fact, it's not even needed because it's our work. Well, ask an infant, if you were able to, whether the infant makes a choice to be baptized. No infant I ever baptized did. And is that the work of the infant to be receiving the gift of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit? No, this is the work of God. We've said many a time that when the pastor says, I baptize you into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that that is simply the pastor's voice using the words of God. Matthew 28, for example, Go ye therefore, make disciples, how? By baptizing and then teaching. Yes, there are many passages in the Bible where baptism did not occur and a person came to faith. Then why be baptized? Well, the answer to that is that God does not want us to depend on our faith for assurance of of being saved. Why? Because our faith is weak. Every time we sin, that is a lack of faith. Because every sin, as we've said recently, is a breaking of the first commandment. So what is baptism? Baptism is a sign from God that he has personally delivered to you the gift of the forgiveness of sins as well as the gift of the Holy Spirit. So for a Christian, we would not say, well, I know I'm saved because I did the work of baptism. No, you just simply say, I am baptized. Why? Because baptism, according to Scripture, is a form of being adopted by God for sure. Even in reality, uh, a person who is an orphan does have a parent, but they may not know who that parent was. And, And therefore, a number of children who get adopted want to seek out their original parents. And when they find them, that doesn't make them more of a child of those parents. It just gives them an assurance as to who the parents were. Baptism is similar. You can be a child of God and not have the assurance for sure, because the only thing you can look at is your faith. Now, you may believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins, and that is assurance. But the ultimate assurance is that God brings you into the family through a promise, and that's really important. So, while I agree that baptism isn't necessary for salvation, I don't consider it a work we do and therefore say that's why it's not necessary, because nobody is saved by our works. That's like saying, 
like when I was born, I was born through my work of leaving the womb of my mother. You see how ridiculous that is? No, nobody looks at the child and says, good job, child. No, we always give praise to the mother that made sure the child came to term and helped with the birth. Similarly, therefore, baptism is a way in which God adopts us into his family, and it is by his work, not by our work. I mean, you could even go so far to say that actually Jesus died on the cross was a work of Romans, was a work of the Jews, maybe was even my work because of my sin. And therefore, that's not a way I can be saved. You see how ridiculous that is? That we put everything under my work? So this is a wrong example of the distinction between law and gospel. Namely, that baptism isn't necessary because it's a work we do. No, baptism is really necessary for us to have an assurance because in baptism, there is a promise from God that he provides us two gifts, the gift of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right. Uh, a second email that also arrived this week kind of is a criticism of what I often say. So let's read that. Dear Pastor Baker, you have a passion for using questions to get people's attention and to get them to think out of the box to gain a new spiritual insight. This email is intended to celebrate that technique. You frequently reference the question, who gets all the credit for our salvation? You profess that the correct answer is Jesus Christ, usually to help people realize that salvation is possible through Jesus alone, without any help, or contribution from what many people consider are their good works. So now, using your question technique, how about if we ask the question in a little different way? Does Jesus Christ does, does Jesus Christ deserve all the credit for our salvation? So that's the question from this email writer. And then there's a space in the email with her answer below it. And she says, or writes, this space below is intentional. Please read and answer the question above before advancing to the answer below. And the answer below is her answer. So once more, the question, does Jesus Christ deserve all the credit for our salvation? The answer, she says, is actually no to the question. It is true that Jesus did indeed take the sins of the world 
on himself to the cross, suffered, died, and rose victoriously for the forgiveness of sins, salvation, and eternal life for all people. Jesus Christ is the center of the salvation story. But that is not the whole story. It is true Jesus did all his saving work for us graciously, but it was his loving Father who commissioned Jesus to come to earth to do the Father's saving will. Even though God the Father sent Jesus, and Jesus did his Father's will willingly and perfectly, we would still not be saved without the faith-saving, sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, who enables us to believe that what Jesus did, he did for us as our personal substitute, since we were unable to save ourselves or contribute to our salvation in any way. So, although the whole plan of salvation does point to Jesus as our Savior, the correct answer to the question, does Jesus Christ deserve all the credit for our salvation, is no, because the credit belongs to the coordinated work of all three persons of the Trinity. I can see why you like using the question technique, Pastor Baker, since I enjoyed it myself. So many of the things you have taught me, I have quoted in Bible studies. Thank you so very much, Pastor Baker. God's blessings as you continue to be an instrument of the Holy Spirit. And then the name. So how do I respond to this? Namely, that Jesus doesn't get all the credit, but the Father and the Son also gets the credit. Now, when I ask the question, I'm always asking the question to a believer, and I always preface it by saying, all right, when you die, you will be in heaven, correct? Yes. Who gets the credit for your salvation. And when they ask the question that way, they never say, I do, or because of my works, or because I attended church a lot, or maybe I was a Sunday school teacher or an elder or something along those lines. They always say, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not asking the question to them as to who else gets the credit besides Jesus, because as the letter writer indicates, God the Father sends Jesus, but Jesus did his Father's will willingly and perfectly. In fact, God the Father recognizes that he himself praises Jesus. At Jesus' baptism, remember the words? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then you've got the transfiguration where God the Father speaks from the cloud. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. 
listen to him. Now, does that mean we're not to listen to the Holy Spirit or God the Father? No. The point I'm trying to make is that had Jesus not willingly and perfectly did what God the Father asked, then we would not be saved. So a similar situation may be like this, that my father says, you know, there's a location where people get free food. In fact, um, I live in Overland, Missouri, and we were driving by the park, and there were a whole bunch of people, and there was a big sign, free food. And they were coming to get free food because of the virus. Many of them were out of work. Now, if I took free food there and somebody asked me, who gets the credit for you bringing the free food? It was my decision to do that. Yes, my father indicated to me that there was an opportunity to give free food to that place so others could be fed. But I would be the one who gets the credit. I could have ignored my father, did something else. So would we say that my father gets the credit for me bringing the free food to that place? No. I'm the one that had to make that decision. In fact, in the lessons that we have been looking at in recent Sundays, Jesus makes very clear that the Father has give, given him the authority to put down his life and to take it up again. Jesus says, nobody takes my life, but I lay it down voluntarily, which he did on the cross. When all the Old Testament passages were fulfilled, the last one being, I thirst, he took a drink, said it is finished, and Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, and he gave up his spirit. See, that's Jesus doing all that work. Now, if you're asking the question, does the Father and the Spirit contribute to therefore our being saved? Well, there's no doubt about that. In fact, it's very clear that it's through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit that enables us to believe that what Jesus did, he did for us as our personal substitute. But it's kind of like, let me give another analogy. Let's say a good friend of mine dies and he leaves me an inheritance of, say, $10,000. And I'm unaware of that. Then his lawyer calls me and asks me to be at the reading of the will. And I find out from the lawyer that I have a $10,000 inheritance. And somebody says, wow, who gave you that $10,000? And I say, oh, the lawyer did. No, it would be my friend. The lawyer was just the spokesman to announce to me 
that that gift had been given. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit announces to us the gift of the forgiveness of sins, the gift of the robe of righteousness. And yes, he enables us to believe that what Jesus did, he did as our personal substitute. And he makes it very clear it's because there is no work we could have done to save ourselves or contribute to our salvation in any way. And notice the previous email we read about baptism. Baptism is not our work. It's the work of the Holy Spirit who then transfers to us the benefits of Christ's death and resurrection. So, I'm not going to disagree with the email writer if you change the question a bit. Does Jesus Christ deserve all the credit for our salvation? That question would include, in my mind, how I'm even saved. And remember the Apostles' Creed? God the Father primarily is creator. Jesus is the redeemer. And the Holy Spirit is the sanctifier. But if you ask the question, for those who are in heaven, who gets all the credit for salvation? The answer would be Jesus, because had he not obeyed the Father, then none of us would be saved. This technique of asking questions, who do I borrow that from? Well, you could say you borrow it from Martin Luther because the entire catechism is an answer to the question, what does this mean? Like the second commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. What does this mean? It means that God has given us the gift of his name and therefore we are not to misuse his name in swearing or using witchcraft. We talked yesterday about tarot cards, that we ought not be participating in them because people do that to get hope and comfort about possibilities of the future. And that's impossible. So many questions Martin Luther asked and then gave the answer on the basis of Scripture. I really borrowed it also from Jesus himself. If you go through the New Testament, he asks many questions. And even when he appears in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord, he asks questions. Now, my technique, I try and begin every sermon with a question. And the question is usually on the basis of part of the readings. We have four readings every Sunday in the three-year plan. And the first one is a psalm. The second one is an Old Testament reading. The third one is the epistle. And the fourth one is the gospel. And it's not too difficult 
to be reading those in English and discover what appears to be an apparent contradiction to the rest of the Bible. Uh, I'll give one example. We've talked about this many a time. The rich man comes to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal salvation? And Jesus finally says, Give all your money to the poor, come follow me, and you will have treasure in heaven. That just so happened to be a primary verse that was built upon the monasteries, where people thought that it was a far greater work to devote your whole life to worshiping God, and therefore monasteries and nunneries came into existence on the basis of that verse. But that's a wrong interpretation of that verse because Jesus is telling the rich man once more what he's supposed to do in order to be saved. And the disciples say, who then can be saved? And Jesus answers it with men. It is impossible. So the question I would ask at the beginning of that sermon is according to this text, how are we saved? Would anyone disagree with Jesus that we give our money to the poor and follow him? And nobody puts their hand up because they don't want to disagree with Jesus. But Jesus is using the law there, not the gospel. And therefore, we would disagree with Jesus that that is the way of salvation as he later makes it very clear at Pentecost, be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of sins. So appreciate these emails. Continue to send them to me at lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com and support the continuation of Law and Gospel on KFUO as you are about to listen. Be with us on Monday when we'll use Law and Gospel to understand another verse. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.